So when I was a young man in my uh, 20s, <laughs> a pretty long time ago, uh, George was an elderly man in my home church, and he was a 100% disabled World War II vet. And he was often in a great deal of pain. But he loved the Lord, and he took it upon himself. He was never asked to do it. He just did it. He greeted people when they came into the church. That was back in the day before most churches had any kind of official greeting program or anything like that. And at the church that I went to, there were two doors by which you could enter that building, separated by a rather large expanse of walls. Each door led into a different wing on either side of the building, and from there you could get into the sanctuary. And George always stationed himself at the right door. Now, George was a hugger and a prayer. And uh, many people would make sure they would enter the other side where George was not. <laughs> not that they disliked George or disapproved of what he was doing. They just weren't huggers themselves. And that was okay with George. <laughs> but there were many more people who always went in on the right side, who appreciated the hugs and the prayers, where he often prayed. Sometimes in response to something you mentioned, maybe you'd been sick or but I often prayed just because. <laughs> and that's the door I almost always used. I got lots of hugs and lots of prayers because of it. And his prayers were often the same thing, the same words uh, week after week, but his heart was always in it. And going in that door, I often heard him talking to different people. And because of the nature of the setting, the conversations were always brief, of course. Uh, but he would speak with the children, and he would laugh at the young couples. And, he, of course, he'd greet those who were his own age and older. And it was in one of those times when George was getting ready to pray for one of those from his own generation, because they were going through some health problems, that I first heard someone say, and George himself said it, as he commiserated with the person and their problems, he said, old age isn't for cowards, is it? And it was a humorous remark. And they both laughed, but it didn't mean it wasn't true. They both knew that it was. And for me, it was a kind of a sobering realization. I mean, I don't suppose I was completely unaware of the challenges uh, related to aging, but... But that frank and humorous exchange between two people that were nearing the end of their lives somehow made it more real and personal to me. And I knew that barring some sort of an early death, I would one day be where George was. I never forgot that statement, and I've heard it from others since. And once in a while I have, maybe we could just call it a kind of a twinge in my body, which reminds me that I'm not 20, year old, 20 years old anymore. <laughs> now, that is not depressing to me. It wasn't then when I first heard George's comment and, and when it really came home to my heart, and it isn't now either when I'm much nearer the end of my life than its beginning. And for I know what I hope that you know, that we are just passing through this world, and a better thing is waiting for us on the other side of the Jordan River. And of course, that's a picturesque way of saying on the other side of death. Indeed, the life of God, which is already at work in us, is making us ready to face whatever might come our way. And, and hearing what I did when I heard it, 
And understanding as much of it as I could at the time, because a young man simply isn't going to understand all that an old man goes through until he's an old man himself. And, and I know just how like, shallow my understanding was, but even as limited as it was, it was really good for me. It, it kind of brought a perspective. I, I have this picture in my mind that I was kind of like standing with my nose pressed up against one tree, and when I heard those words, actually that whole conversation, it's like someone grabbed me kind of by my shirt and pulled me back and set me up on top of a hill. And, and, and instead of one tree, I can see the whole forest, right? It gave me a sense in broad contours of where my life was heading and the things I would one day go through, the things most of us will go through. And the text we're going to look at this morning was written to young people by a man who was maybe George's age, written to young people who would have been, well, very much like I was when I was young before I heard that conversation I just told you about. It was written to give insight similar to what I gained that morning long ago. The passage was written by Solomon, and it's found in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. So I'm going to invite you to join me there in your Bibles, or of course you can follow along as the text is displayed on the screens on either side of me. And we're going to be looking at that section of Scripture which begins in chapter 11, verse 9, and concludes of verse 8 of chapter 12. The passage is written to young people. But it contains this long, beautiful, powerful, moving, and sad, but not despairing, poetic description of growing old. And then it speaks of the death that follows. And and that's where we're going to start this morning. And I'm going to try to read that portion of our passage so that the words can do what they were intended to do, to paint a kind of picture in your mind, or maybe better yet, to build a kind of structure in your heart. And there are going to be some things you won't understand, and that's okay because we're going to go over them again and explain them and make sure that uh, it's all clear. But even without understanding every item, you will not miss the overall impression of Solomon's words. So we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. And we're going to read through verse 7. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, When the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of the dangers of the street. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. And then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the well, and the, uh, the spring and the wheel is broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground where it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. 
You know, there is a kind of a heaviness to those many words that I think you feel. And maybe you almost experience as you hear them. But it's balanced by those first few words at the beginning and, and, and which are repeated near the end. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And we're going to come back to that shortly. But first, I want to make sure we understand the rest of what we just read. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, which will be on the screen again, uh, the days of trouble to come are those days which the rest of the passage goes on to describe in some detail. And, and they're days where it's hard to find pleasure uh, anymore in them. Uh, maybe the best way for most of us to understand that, if we're not living it yet, is to think of those times when you've been tired to the point of exhaustion. And then nothing, not even the most fun things, hold any interest for you. Your tiredness has your entire attention. You're so tired, really, that you don't even mind missing the fun. Verse 2 says this, uh, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, but they don't really do that. (laughs) No, it's just that they don't seem as bright as they used to. And it's not just because our eyes have gotten weaker And the clouds return after the rain. In verse 2, it's just another way of saying the same thing. In verse 3, the keepers of the house mean those who stay at home. And their trembling is not from fear, but from weakness, just as a strong man now stoops for the same reason. The grinding of the grain, that was a community activity, right? Maybe it was only a friend or a two that would get together. When the ladies would do that, they'd get together and they'd grind the grain and make the flour. But their friends are mostly gone now, and they're, t- they're too old to go out. And looking through the windows, why, they're looking for visitors, hoping for company to come. But as the hope fades, they grow dim. In verse 4, the doors stay closed because no one comes in, no one goes out anymore. Even the memory of friends fades like the sound of grinding far away. And one rises early, but because they can't sleep, they rise when the birds begin chirping and singing, but they hardly hear it in themselves anymore. And a fall means disaster, so heights are feared. And while young rely on their strength, the old have none, so they're afraid of the dangers of the world. They don't go out in the streets anymore. And the almond tree buds. You know when it buds? Late November. And, and, I mean, in late November, it buds and it blooms in f- late February or early March. It's the very tail end of winter, and that represents the very last days of life. And at the end of its life, the grasshopper no longer hops. It doesn't have the strength and energy. It's weakness. It drags itself along the ground. And for the old, just before life ends, there's no desire for anything anymore doesn't even stir in their heart, except for what it says next. When all the other desires have died, you, you go to your own eternal home. And that seems to be, if, if life experience is any guide, it's the one thing the dying believer really longs for. And they hope for it, even though they know that their loved ones will mourn their passing as they go about life. Now, I know I've told you this before. I said it again last week, but I'm going to repeat it now. My grandmother told me not to mourn for her when she passed. For her, death was just a door that had opened, and she would gladly walk through it. She already saw the light under the other side. 
Verses 6 and 7, we're told again to remember God before the end comes. But death itself is talked about in a picturesque and poetic way. The silver cord is severed. The golden bowl is crushed. This earthly life is valuable. It's so valuable. But it's not going to last. That cord's going to snap. The bowl's going to be broken. And then the water, too. That's a symbol of life, right? But the pitcher needed to hold it. And yet it shattered. And the wheel at the well, which lets the bucket down so you get more water, it's broken. And when those two things are gone, life ends. And so as Genesis 3 says, for dust you are and to dust you will return. And the life that animates your body, the breath of God breathed into that first man, returns to him who gave it. And there. That's those verses in a little bit more detail, which we read which I think helps us to grasp all of what Solomon said here. And yet, there's one more thing that Solomon said, which we didn't read, and we're going to do so now. And it's kind of an exclamation point at the end of the sketch on aging aging and dying. Solomon repeats his famous saying that we've read many times before, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless, and from our studies we know that means short short life is so very short and everything is but a passing breeze it's been over 30 years ago now between george comments and today and they really seem like not much more than simply a blink of an eye short short life is so very short Now, I have to tell you that I do not suppose that anyone uh, who was not a believer could read these things that we just read without uh, uh, despair, the approaching of old age, the pending death, the brevity of each human life. I don't know how they would read that and not feel dread or feel, at the very least, uh, depressed. But, but I, let me ask you, don't you agree with me that those words that are written for a believer uh, who, who, who has the hope of eternal life, wouldn't it be good, though, if the unbeliever could hear them and maybe pay attention to them? Maybe those cheerios would, would go to them, or lost, they ought to go to them, to make a person consider how they fit into that picture. And, and then maybe they would be willing to pay a little more attention to the other things that the Bible has to say. You know, someone can s- dismiss those words in us as, as being too morbid, but they can't alter the truth. It, it, our culture tries so hard to not think about death, but they will never get rid of it just by ignoring it. And unless we die an early death or happen to be alive when Jesus returns, this is the destiny of every one of us. And we're at the end of this portion of our text, and yet I can't quite leave these words, not yet, not without pointing out that even here in this somber passage, Solomon couldn't quite help himself. He couldn't quite keep from talking about three little small glimmers about the coming light and life which which follows death for the believer. So the one from verse 5, we, we already mentioned the last desire that, uh, that the believer is that of going on to our eternal home. And, and right there, those words, eternal home, uh, the idea of heaven is smuggled in. And then in verse 7, he says that while our body returns to ground, our spirit goes back to God. And it seems to me that the old, that's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth, that absence from the body 
means presence with the Lord. And, and what else could it mean but that, that the spirit, when the Spirit returns to the God who gave it? And then the almond tree in verse 5 may be the most uh, intriguing illustration in the passage. For it would have been well known in that time that though the almond flower buds and blossoms at the very tail end of winter, as we said, it then falls off. The purpose of that bloom that died is the almond which comes in spring. For the believer, the death does not have the last word. The closer we are to the end, I, I think, the more we hang on to that truth. But I have to tell you that this, this, all this talk about aging and death was not written to old people. I mean, we all benefit from it. It was written to the young. And, and we began where Solomon ended. So we're going to go back now to his beginning, and we'll see where he started, which is where we're going to end. But I have to tell you before we go any further that I need to warn you that these few verses that we're going to look at now, these words are some of the most misunderstood uh, in all of the Bible. From ancient times down to the present, verses 9 and 10 have been misread as advocating uh, some kind of thoroughgoing hedonism. This has been so, this happens for so long, and it's been misunderstood for so long. After the temple fell in 70 AD, the Jews got together and they were talking about how to reestablish their religion. And they were wondering if maybe they ought to get rid of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it, it, they think it's as though Solomon is saying to young people to go sin and deal with the consequences later. And with that in mind, we're going to read these verses, these two verses, and we're going to see just why so many people have thought that. Now, this is what Solomon says in verses 9 and 10. You who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles from your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now I have to tell you, without a doubt, verse 9 is the one that people really stumble over. And some religious people, and even those who are non-religious but of a stern demeanor, balk at Solomon's advice when he says, be happy while you're young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. They think that even if they don't speak it out, they, out loud, they think, really, Solomon? You're going to say that? And you're going to say it to a youngster? The advice they would have given would have been something more on the order of keep your nose to the grindstone. Or you better make your hay while the sun's shining. Or maybe even early to bed and early to rise. Not that such advice is wrong, right? I mean, it's good to plan and to prepare for life. But maybe... That's not all there is, is there? Maybe Solomon is, is getting at something else. Anyway, their, their astonishment and confusion grows when they read what it says next in verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Do you know what they think he's saying right here? They think he's saying, go out and sow your wild oats even though you're going to pay a price for it. They think he's encouraging young people to sin, almost if he's saying the kinds of things that people say in our day, uh, that young people are going to do these things anyway, so we better just help them to deal with the consequences. 
I remember a man in my first church excusing the serious sin of another person by saying, well, he didn't really mean anything about it. He was just having a little fun. I'll tell that to the judge. They read what Solomon wrote, and they think people's hearts are inclined to do wrong, and their eyes wander to the ends of the earth, and following those impulses will lead to sin. And they're not completely wrong, are they? I, I, I mean, sin is a problem, isn't it? And, and the lust of the eyes is troubling. But could Solomon be so far off course that he would miss that? And if not, what is it that they're missing? See, to them, Solomon, what he's doing here, it's little better than the beer commercial. You know, the one that says, grab all the gusto you can get. It just doesn't sound biblical. They have a hard time with it. And verse 10 just seems to pile on, you know. Banish anxiety from your heart. That sounds like Solomon's saying, don't worry about a thing, just go have fun. And I'm not exactly sure how they view, cast off the troubles of your body. Probably they think he's saying, ignore the consequences of your sin. And then that youth and vigor are meaningless. That's just bitter and even enviness to them. But is any of that really what Solomon's saying? The answer is, of course, no. So let's take it a little bit at a time to see what he is trying to communicate to us. And first, I want to kind of put this into its proper place. Verse 9 begins this whole passage that goes all the way through and talks about what happens with aging and death. And it's addressed to young people. And everything which follows, all of those words, are written to young people. Now, I, I benefit by them. I'm a lot older than many of you here. I can benefit by it, but he wrote them to young. He writes to young people. He's not writing to children here. Uh, He's speaking to young adults or maybe mature teens. He's writing to people who just start out in life. And and this is a direct address, right? Um, It's not to anyone in particular. It, It really is to any and everyone who's reading it. And yet because it's a direct address, it seems very personal when you read it, uh, you, you know it's not just speaking to you, but because it's direct, it feels that way. And, and this personal address to young people would also have been very powerful in that culture because, you see, they weren't merely a paternal society. They were elder-centric culture. The elderly, both men and women, were honored. And as people, they honored the Asian but they tolerated the fledglings of society, the greenhorns, the young people in life. Solomon's drawing the young people in. He's bringing them close. He's speaking them to them personally by addressing them directly. And this is what he says. And it surprises us. He says, enjoy life. Enjoy life. That's not where he stopped. That's where he started. Enjoy life. He goes on to say at the end of verse, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You know what Solomon is doing here? He's warning young people that they will have to give an account for themselves. He's telling them, in essence, to enjoy life, but avoid sin. Enjoy life in that light. 
he warns the young people he's writing to against sin when he tells them that one day they will stand before God in judgment. And he tells him two other times in this writing, later in the text, which we've already looked at, he says, remember your creator, and then remember God. And this remembering, is, it's not just this kind of an intellectual exercise where we acknowledge a fact. It's this serious contemplation of the reality of God as understood by Jews and Christians as the one who made us and the one to whom we must answer. He's not condoning sin at all. He does the exact opposite. He warns against it. Do you know why some people, religious and otherwise, can't understand what Solomon is saying here? It's because they cannot think of anyone really enjoying themselves unless sin is somehow involved. It even goes to our chocolate cake. You know, it's sinfully delicious. I mean, I mean, it's funny, but it's sad. Isn't it that people don't realize that there's so much they can enjoy that doesn't have sin in it? You know, it's been said of one particular denomination that's going to remain nameless that the only joy they have is the joy of not having any joy. I I think that's so sad, and it's against that kind of misunderstanding that Solomon has his say. Before Solomon tells them, the young people, what lies ahead of the old age and the death that will come, he reminds them, he tells them to remember the Creator in their youth. The days of youth are going to fly by fast enough, and vigor like like all of life is going to fade away. But if you remember your creator when you're young, if you walk with him, if you honor him, if you obey him, you'll be prepared for what is yet to come. Well, what's coming is going to come on all of us whether we're prepared for it or not. And I'm telling you, that's not depressing. It's life. It's a fact. It's 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 what we will face. But we don't face it alone. And Solomon's voice is a voice of reason. And he's calling us back from the faulty, unbiblical belief that life must somehow be miserable if we're to honor God. Joy is from God. It's to be used in the boundary set by the goodness and virtue of our God. But it's for us. This whole creation was made for us. Our sin has messed it up as well as messing us up. Uh, Young believers complain against us sometimes. You Christians and all your rules. My response is there are only ten. (laughs) And the rest of the world is yours to do with, to enjoy. Throughout this writing, Solomon has told us to enjoy the life that God has given us. He's telling the young people to do the same thing. He's not telling them to sin. He's warning them against it. You know, young people need wisdom to live. You understand that? They they need a world view that's less limited than their own. I remember what I was like when I graduated from high school. 
I don't think you could have found a much stupider person. I, I mean, I, I, just, I just didn't get it, you know? I wasn't a Christian. I, I, my worldview was just, it didn't get past my own nose just about. Young people need a worldview that's less limited than their own, but, but who's going to tell them? Who in this culture is going to tell them? Our culture has let go of God a long time ago. And by degrees, they have lost hold of that larger story that makes sense out of life for the individual and for the community. They degrees, again, it's become the blind leading the blind. And parenting is often delegated today by, to the so-called professionals. Parents are saying things like this. Who are we to tell our children how to live when we made such a mess of the world and our own lives? And without God, well, maybe they're not wrong. See, in their lostness, most mothers and fathers today are becoming more interested in the approval of their children. They want their friendship. They're not interested in that uh, adult in relationship to a child at all. And that's exactly what children need. Solomon's advice in our world is powerful. It, it says there's a whole world of good out there. Go enjoy it all. You're young, you're strong. Live life to the full, for the days are coming when you won't be able to. Don't let worry consume you. Get rid of the sin that's in your life and live. As you live, remember God. Remember the God who made you, to whom you're going to give an account. Walk with God while you're young and you'll be prepared for what comes later. You know that opening uh, scripture reading uh, it says choose life I, I think many people don't quite do that they try not to choose death what God wants us to do is choose life he wants us to live and, and so many people they, they, they don't have anyone that can help them the culture's lost it, it it's no no structure it's nebulous it's like a mist and words like this come through like a foghorn you need to hear it life is good live it but remember your creator Listen, it's just to make it clear. You can enjoy all there is in this life, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in the end, you'll have nothing. But if you know him, don't hold back. Live it all. I don't want to sit hour after hour in front of the television or playing computer games or looking at Facebook, or talking on Twitter. I, I want to live. I want to experience life. I want to enjoy 
you, my wife, my children. I want to be a messenger of the kingdom. It's not enough just to not choose death. We need to choose life. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, and thank you that you set that choice before us, and you encourage us to choose life. And you provided for us so that we could, by sending your Son to this world, be a man tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin, which is what the Lamb of God had to be. He took our sins away. We bear them no more. We have life already in us. Eternal life. Your life. Help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.